Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. be seated tonight. We're starting a brand new series uh, um, tonight, but just before we get into it, if you had anything at all to do with Shine Conference, helping in any way, even if it meant taking care of things at home so that your um, female part of your household could be released, can you please come to your feet? If you had anything to do with Shine whatsoever, helped it in any way, before, during, after, Please come to your feet. Yes, there's a spontaneous applause. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> but if you, anyway, um, please come to your feet. Um, I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, personally, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, I just want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, look at these, your servants, Lord, uh, who did not do this because they wanted to spend their weekend doing that, but they did it for you, Lord. They did it for you that you might work in the hearts of women across our region, Lord, that we might hear stories that we're hearing now of changed lives and refreshed souls and spirits, Lord, of uh, reinvigorated faith, Lord. Lord, that is why they did it. They did it for you. And Lord, I just ask that you would fulfill your word where you say to give a cup of water in your name that we we'll, ourselves will be refreshed, Lord. And these, your people, um, poured themselves out on the weekend. So, Lord, I pray you would pour your refreshing back in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ah, what? Yep. Clap yourselves. You're the best, bestest ever. Okay, this is not our series. I just want a full disclosure right now. This is not our series. Uh, it's someone else's and we've taken it. Um, so I just, that's full disclosure right there. Um, we just, they're probably, they're, there's, it's a great series. We felt like it was time and that our church needed it. And, uh, and oh wow, it's Shine Weekend. I have no words. Lord Jesus, help me please. Just bring them to my mouth. Um, we believe it's time and, and it's, Probably very little original thought as in personal revelation from this message. It's just revelation from someone else, which is okay. Because every time I preach, um, I feel like I've had a really great revelation. And then three months later, I'll read a 300-year-old sermon from Spurgeon or someone and find that, yes, no, definitely God had said that to someone else a much longer time ago. And good one, Bron. So we don't worry about it. What we're talking about is you and your stuff. You and your stuff. And, uh, and it, this is part one. It goes for four weeks. So I've got this week, next week, the week after we're going to break for Father's Day and then we'll finish on Rise and Build uh, Sunday. You and your stuff. Why do we believe that this is important? Well, if the goal of Christianity is just to hang around for a bit and then we go to heaven and uh, we, you know, stand on those streets of gold and, and, and live in a fancy great house, which, um, you know, is not actually what the Bible says. If we, if we believe that that's our goal, that we're just waiting out life here till we can get there, then, then a message about us and our stuff doesn't really matter and isn't particularly important. But if we actually believe that we're not just here to wait or um, to leave, but we're actually here to occupy 
then we really need to know how to treat our stuff and how to think about our stuff. If you've ever had a picture of heaven and thought, oh, that's not actually quite satisfying to me. Like, you know, you thought that someone said to you, we're going to get there and we're just going to sing praises to God forever and ever. And you're like, awesome. Um, Then, you know, if your picture of heaven isn't quite satisfying, it's possible that you've got the wrong picture of how we're meant to look at it. You see, we're not just here so that we can leave and go there. We're actually here to occupy. And beyond that, we're not just here to occupy, we're here to influence. And beyond that, we're not actually just here to influence, we're actually here to rule and to reign. That's what the Bible says. We're not here just to occupy, not just to influence, but that he has seated us with him in heavenly places. So that's not when we get to heaven, we get to order the angels around. No, we're called to heavenly influence here and now. We're not called to go there. We're called to bring heaven here. That is the whole purpose of us living here on earth. Otherwise, we'd be gone already. We are called to bring heaven to earth. And we can bring heaven to earth or by the way that we live, we can actually bring hell to earth. And we have the option, and one of the key tenets, one of the key things that we need to look at about bringing heaven to earth is the way and the relationship that we have with our stuff. If we don't change the way that we look at our stuff, then we just rule and reign in the same way that everyone rules and reigns in the world, but under a different banner. We just, we just do nothing different. We rule and reign, but we, we change nothing and we just have a different balance. You see, what I fed my dog Fergus today, we had a welcome to church lunch and there was lots of food left on people's plates. You're not supposed to put that in a container for you the next day, what's left on people's plates. If it's not been out of the dish that it was served in, that's okay. But if it's on people's plates as leftovers, you don't scrape that off into a big bowl and eat that the next day. That's gross, okay? If you're doing that, stop it. Um, but what I did was I actually put it on a plate and I fed it to Fergus. Fergus does not need to be fed for a week. There was lots of stuff left on people's plates. It, it, like, it was yummy, but they, I hope, because they left a lot of stuff. But anyway, yeah, we fed it to Fergus, and I gave him three bowlfuls of food off the food that was on people's plates. Fergus got fed more today than some people in our world will in the next week. My dog got fed more today than some humans will in the next week. I don't know if you've been to Coles recently, but have you seen the pet aisle? Have you seen the aisle that's dedicated to our pets? And did you know that Western pets are the most overweight animals in the world? Why? Because we spoil them and we feed them too much because we have this relationship with our stuff about more and more and it is not the way that the world is supposed to operate. There are 2,106 scriptures that tie righteousness and generosity together. 2,106. That's more than heaven, hell, faith and prayer combined. The scriptures that tie righteousness and generosity together. So if God cares so much about the way we think about our stuff, we better have a look at it as well. Amen? Cool. Yeah, you're excited. Please tell me more. Okay, I will. Okay, there's two ways that we can own our stuff. Um, We're either given it or we earn it. Now, if I'm given a car or I save enough money and work and and earn money and buy a car, then I own it. If I acquire a car any other way, what's that called? 
theft, exactly. So, so that's, that's, that's very true, Lee. And so we don't want to steal and we want to think about our stuff properly. We think about our stuff in terms of a 21st century Western person. But you see, a first century Jew, they thought very differently about their stuff. They didn't consider it the way that we consider it, that, well, it's given to me, so it's mine, or I saved enough and I earned enough money to save up and buy it, so now it's mine. They considered themselves stewards of what God had provided for them. Everything they had was theirs to steward because God had provided it for them. So we're going to look into this. Because you know what the Jews now, they're 1% of the population and they have 30% of the wealth. They're the most oppressed people group ever, and yet they're one of the most wealthy people groups ever. They, by all rights, should have been wiped from the earth a long time ago, but they're still around, they're still here, and they're actually flourishing. So we will eventually, in the last week, look at the way that they do their finance, but we don't ever want to look at that without actually understanding how God wants us to think about our stuff full stop. Um, I said this morning, uh, just around the giving, that a couple of years ago, um, God really spoke to me while I was driving in the car on the way back from the Hunter Valley. And he said, Bron, you do what you have to do when it comes to your finance so that I can do what I want to do. Now, you would, that you would assume that he meant, um, you know, Bron, be generous. But you see, the thing about us was that we were generous crazy, crazy ways. But we had no idea where our finance was going. So I knew when God said that, you do what you have to do so I can do what I want to do. He wasn't talking about generosity. He was talking about being wise and tracking my finance so that I actually knew where my money was going. So at this, my prayer for you when it comes to our stuff is that you would do what you have to do so that God can do what he wants to do. That you would find something across the next four messages that God speaks directly to you, maybe something that's not even mentioned when it, with regards to your stuff, something that you have to do so that God can do what he wants to do. And my prayer for you is that you would do it a lot quicker than it took me to start doing it. I was um, slow. Okay, so because the first, we need to establish this message, we need to get this under our belt, because the first equation when it comes to us and our stuff that if we undertake the divine order of finance plus still be stupid with our finance, that equals broke, okay? That's the first equation. You can say, well, I tithe and, and, and I've tried it and I've done that um, and yet nothing has changed when it comes to my finance. Well, I guess what we need to know is that God is not duty-bound to fix stupid, okay? He doesn't, he's not, he, he doesn't. He, he's also not duty-bound to finish something that he never initiated. So sometimes we can do something on our own initiation and we can start something and, and, and we feel really great about it. It goes pear-shaped because we never consulted God about it. And then we go, God, how can you leave me in this mess? And God says, I want you to see what it's like when you don't consult me on anything and, uh, and, and see what kind of mess you get into. Now, he may, by his grace, help you straight out of that and fix it all up. Or he may allow you to go through the consequence of that so that you never do it again. That's because he's a loving and caring and good God and he's a good father and he allows us to feel the consequences of our own actions. If we buy things that we can't afford with money that we don't have, as Andy Stanley says, buy things we can't afford with money we don't have to impress people that we don't know or even particularly like, then we shouldn't ask God to fix that because that's not smart, okay? So even tithing, when it comes to tithing, if we were to talk about tithing, tithing is not magic. It's not like tithe and then 
uh, watch the storehouse of heaven flood open and all the windows and the gates and all that kind of thing and money pours onto you. No, tithing is not magic. Tithing is not magic. Always in the Bible, it's God principles plus a change of behavior equals amazing stuff happening. Um, but you know what the fact is? Is that we'd, if we were to change our behavior, we would see consequences anyway. If, you, if we were to make good decisions, that would show up in our lives. However, make good decisions, put God in the middle of that. Wow, who knows what could happen there. If we were to change just one degree as a course of this series, in three years our lives could look completely different the way that we go about things. So, as Lee said, if we acquire um, a car by any other way than being given it or saving and buying it, that's called theft. The eighth commandment in the Bible is, in the Old Testament, is do not steal. Well, the Jewish people, as they looked at that commandment, that was twofold. Number one, it wasn't, hey, Prissy, you wallet there? You just grab it. Your yeah. <laughs> phone. Yeah, sure. Okay. Oh, man, I was going to take cash out of your wallet and keep it and not give it back. Like, not even after the message, you've got no money. Okay. Um, okay, well, just say, um, Brucey, can I make a call? Cool. Can you just put that in my bag? And don't give it back to Bruce. That's called stealing. And, and the um, Jewish people understood that. Do not steal. Don't take people's stuff. But it was twofold. It wasn't just don't take people's stuff. It was also don't take what God has asked you for a specific purpose to delegate or direct your finance. Don't keep that to yourself. That was also understood as stealing. And, and if you've been in church for a very long period of time, you would know um, that people read about tithing. You have robbed me in your tithes and offerings. And, uh, and, and, and that was how they saw stealing. It wasn't just, just taking something of someone else's. It was also that what God had asked them to direct their finance in a certain direction, whether it was to the poor, to the house of God, uh, to whatever, if they were to keep that for their own purpose, that also was called stealing and they understood that. So Matthew chapter 6. Can I please have your Bible, Daz? I left mine at home. Ah, oh, thanks, Maddie. Um... <laughs> Matthew chapter 6 uh, Sermon on the Mount and, and, and remember let's look at this as a first century Jew would look at this he begins to talk to them about their finance <laughs> Matthew chapter 6 do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now in my Bible, in Daz's Bible, in your Bible probably, there's a break and a new heading. And it says this, The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unclear, your whole body will be full of darkness. Therefore, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Break in the passage, new title, new verse. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So here, Jesus talks about money. Then he talks about what we're looking at. And then he talks about money again. Now, um, I have always read that 
The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unclear, your whole body will be full of darkness. I have always read that, that what we look at needs to not be evil because if it's evil, then my body will be filled with darkness. That I need to really pay attention to the things that I'm looking at. Now, that is absolutely biblical. And, and we could make a message out of that, but we'd need to make it out of something else because this passage hasn't stopped talking about money. You see, back in first century, the Jews understood that this is actually talking about generosity. A light eye was equal to generosity. Rabbis in the first century, in, in, if you look at rabbinical history, you can read that they refer to eyes full of light as people who are generous. So he hasn't actually broken from the topic at all. He's still talking about exactly the same thing. People whose eyes were full of darkness were stingy. And, um, and you, can, you can look up um, early rabbinical teaching and you'll see that. That was very much understood for those first century Jews. So when it says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust break in and steal, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, he doesn't break from it. He says that if you are generous then your whole body is filled with light. If you're generous in your actions, then your whole being is good. And if you live a life of generosity, you actually know this to be true. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than receive. You know this to be a true fact. You know that the, the joy that you get from giving is so much better than the joy and slight awkwardness that you get from receiving. There's no awkwardness attached to giving. And, and if your eye is unclear, your whole body will be full of darkness. There's a, a way of living that's stingy that causes you to shrivel up on the inside, that causes you, you, you just to kind of withdraw and, and it's all about you and Everything turns inward and, and it's, a, it's a dark way of living. Then it goes back, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This, and then he goes on to say in verse 25, Therefore I say to you, take no thought about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they do not sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Who among you... By taking thought can add a cubit to his stature. <laughs> he goes on and he's talking again about the provision of God. That God, if we put the kingdom of God first, seek first his righteousness, etc. Then God will add all these things to you. There's this way of living that is freedom. And there's a way of living that is captivity. So we're going to look at some um, topics and, and that they're wisdom, work, honour, knowing God. Uh, righteousness, and then eventually, finally, we'll look at the Hebraic model of finance. Uh, but Daz is going to cover work next week. We're going to cover it all in four weeks. But I'm going to talk briefly about wisdom when it comes to our finance tonight. The Bible says that money is a great servant and a terrible master. And if you've ever lived in a way where your money is spent before you even get to payday, I've lived there, then you know that this is true. You know the helpless feeling of getting to payday and your money actually already being allocated completely to things that have already happened before you even get there. It's an awful way to live. It's a helpless way to live. I remember when uh, Daz and I were um, newlyweds or, or thereabouts, we had credit card debt, we had uh, you know, furniture finance debt, we had all, had all sorts of debt. And, uh, and so it, when payday came, everything was divvied up in different directions. And one day we went to Easy Living, 1825, whatever it's called, and there was this beautiful timber hutch there. 
It was just gorgeous, country, my kind of style, and uh, it, was, it was really lovely. And, and I think it was like 1200 bucks. And, um, and I looked at it and I said, oh, Daz, that's beautiful. We should get, he said, yeah, absolutely, one day we should get that. I said, well, we've got the money. Like, why don't we just get it now? Now, if you knew us back then, we never had money. Like, we just, like, payday to payday every week, that's all it was. And Daz is like, we've got $1,200? I was like, yeah, we've got $1,200. And he said, serious? Yep, yep. And he said, well, get it. If we've got $1,200, let's get it. Now, obviously, we could have done a lot better things with that $1,200, particularly since we're living payday to payday. But we just went, I said, yep, awesome, got it. Got it delivered, got in the house, looked gorgeous. And Daz said, I can't believe we had $1,200 cash just sitting in our account. I said, oh, no, we didn't have $1,200 cash sitting in our account. He said, but you told me I had $1,200. I said, oh, yeah, we'd paid off $1,200 off our credit card. And it was just sitting in the credit card. (laughs) Obviously, I should have felt a lot more remorse by your reaction. (laughs) To me, it was obvious. We had $1,200 clear in the credit card. It's to be spent, right? And (laughs) so for that $1,200 cabinet, I don't know how much we paid for that. Because by the time... We made the late payment fee and then the interest on top of that. I reckon that was the most expensive hutch that ever got burnt in a fire ever. (laughs) The point is, get out of debt and stay out of debt. Get out of debt and stay out of debt. Now, I know that there's debt that increases wealth. I'm not talking about that kind of debt right now. I'm talking about consumer debt. I'm talking about unwise debt. I'm talking about debt that causes us to buy something now that we could wait and save for and get later. I'm talking about that kind of debt. There's, I know people that are in millions of dollars worth of debt and they're, they're sitting pretty, they're sweet. They're not me. I don't know anything about that. I'm not going there. What I'm going to do is make sure that as it relates to waiting and not being instant, that I stay out of debt as much as is possible. Um, you know, there's a lot of debatable matters in the Bible. There's a lot of things that we can talk about, whether it's good to do this or good to do that and whether we should or not. We could have some debates and go into it and talk about it. This is clear in the Bible about debt. The Bible is super clear about this. God has clearly mandated that we should try to stay out of debt. And yet we as Westerners, we excuse that behaviour all the time. And we go into debt and before our payday comes, we're paying to Ford Credit or we're paying to Easy Living or we're paying to Harvey Norman or whatever it is because we didn't wait. We say things like, oh man, Satan's attacking my finance. Spiritual warfare. (sighs) Satan's just attacking me on every front. And without realising that Satan had a day off because we were stupid. He just was like... I don't need to do anything here, people. I'm going attacking someone else. Stay out of debt. The Bible is really, really clear on this. If you can wait and save, do it. Because what you'll find is when you wait and save, when you finally got the money for it, you don't feel like you want it anymore. And you can do something really great with that money. This is what you can actually do with the money. There's the power of uh, the double. Um, if you were 25 years old and you invested $10,000, you have the potential for seven doubles. This is just biblical wisdom here before you retire. You get seven doubles in that. So I want you to think about this. 
I want you to think about someone coming to you and saying, I've got a great business plan. Pastor Mike, I have a fantastic business plan for you. Um, I'm going to give you $50,000, okay? And in three years, you give me... No, no, no. Does that work? Yes. You give... No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you... No, you're going to give me... I've got a business plan. You give me $50,000, okay? You give me $50,000. In three years, I'll give you $25,000 back, okay? Deal? No, no, wait, wait, wait. Not just that. During that time, you can make payments with interest, okay? And at the end of it, to me, okay? And at the end of it, I'll give you $25,000 back. Deal? Got it? Um, no, okay. But yet, you know, and this is no condemnation because I have lived here and been here and this is absolutely no condemnation on it whatsoever. Let's just apply biblical wisdom. That's what we do with cars, right? Cars halve in value every three years and we go and buy a brand new car for $50,000 and then in three years it's worth $25,000 but we've paid payments that whole time. Uh, like really, you know... It's, the, the fact is, is that studies show that most millionaires buy three-year-old Camrys. <laughs> the, the, it, it, studies show that car finance is the mantra of the middle class. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with the middle class. I love being in the middle class. But I'm saying that there's a whole lot more that we could do with our finance. Imagine if I, Pastor Mike said, no, Bron, take your stupid deal. And put it in the bin. I don't want it. I'm going to take my 50000 at 25 years old because I don't know if you knew, but Pastor Mike's only 25 years old. And he put that 50000 in the bank and he used compound interest and kept adding to that. He would actually have – I wish he did the maths, but I'm going to do it right now. Okay, he's got seven doubles. So 100000 200000 400000 800000 1.6 million, 3.2 million – by the time he retires, if he took that 50000 and invested it rather than bought a car and got 25000 in three years. That's a big difference. And that's actually just biblical wisdom. Stay out of debt. You know, we go into this actually thing about this changed my life. It changed my life as it relates to the poor. You know, God's heart for the poor is unbelievable and we barely hear it preached he his heart for people that are suffering and 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 hurting and are down because of poverty we barely hear it preached and we need to know it we need to if his heart today 16,000 people 16,700 children died of starvation so we need to know how to deal biblically with our finance so that we bring heaven to earth. We can't, we can't go on, because if we're just living for today, we can just keep living how we're living. But we're not just living for today because we're not just occupying, we're not just influencing, we're actually ruling and reigning and bringing heaven to earth. So let's ensure that we get a right thought about our finance. Now, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm on the journey. I'm on the journey completely. If I were to say, if you were to say, how's your financial wisdom going? I would say to you, in all honesty, I spend too much money on eating out. That's what I would say. So I'm just giving you permission to feel okay about whatever bad decisions you're making. Okay, okay, so small decisions matter. What you excuse today affects tomorrow. What you excuse today affects tomorrow. And don't judge success on the plotted point. So right now I would say I'm being unsuccessful because I spend too much money on eating out. I love it. 
a lot. And, um, and, but, don't, but, but yet, if I look at myself a year ago, the trajectory is in a good direction. I want you to take two people, both that have $50,000 in the bank, both that own their own house, both have no debt. Which of those two is most successful? Well, it actually depends on the trajectory that they're on. If one was in debt and, uh, and, and didn't have a house and had worked hard and saved and now are at that point, well, they're, they're on the right trajectory. If one won lotto and uh, it was $3 million, but now all they've got to show for it is a house and $50,000, then they're obviously on a different trajectory. But it's a trajectory that matters and small decisions matter. We need to think about how we are going to govern our stuff or will we let it govern us? Okay, Joseph in the Bible. He's, a, he's an amazing man. And, um, and I'll finish with this. Because the point of this, in case I forget it by the end, because it's Shine Weekend, I could, really could. Um, the point of this is that let's not trust the government to do it for us. We, the government isn't meant to look after us. That's not what God asked the government to do. The government was never to provide welfare. So Joseph, uh, Pharaoh had a dream. He dreamed that there were seven um, skinny cows and they ate seven fat cows. That's a tripping dream. Like, I've never had a dream like that. That's a, has anyone ever had a dream like that where seven cows came and ate up seven fat cows? I'd be waking up going, what on earth? But anyway, Pharaoh decided to call for someone to interpret it. And Joseph interpreted it. And, and Joseph said, what's going to happen, Pharaoh, is that there'll be seven years of flourishing followed by seven years of debt. And, um, and Pharaoh said, well, what should we do? And Joseph said, well, what you really need is a wise man to advise you. And uh, Pharaoh picked Joseph, so it was a pretty good plug. And Joseph decided that he would take a fifth of all the seven flourishing years from the people. He said, come on, give us a fifth and we'll store that for you for the years of famine. Now, he, he took that and he put it in the stores. So a fifth of all their income. Sounds a lot like tax, doesn't it? And he took that and he said, we will give that to you when when the famine comes. Now, when the famine came, the first year they came and they bought that back from Joseph. And it says that by the end of the first year, that Pharaoh had all the money in Egypt. Joseph had collected all the money from Egypt and from Canaan and surrounding areas. By the end of the second year, they came to him and said, well, you know that we have no money left. So what are we supposed to do now? You still have all the grain that we stored um, what happens now? And he said, well, bring all your livestock to me and I will take that as payment for the grain that I give you to eat. So they brought all their livestock to him. Third year, they came back and they said, you've got all our money, you've got all our livestock. All we've got now to give you is our land and ourselves. And Joseph took from them their land and themselves in bondage. They sold themselves into slavery and to Pharaoh. Why? Because they trusted the government to take care of them in the bad years. Imagine if they had just stored that themselves, a fifth of their finance, a fifth of their wealth, a fifth of their harvest for that bad, those bad years. Imagine if they had have been saving that. They never would have ever had to go to that place. And, uh, and so many, you know, if we were to rely on the government for our retirement, for our pension, what is it now? Dazza and my age, we can't 
rely on that. My parents' age, they were able to know that they had a guaranteed pension. And now we're not able to rely on that so much. Now you might say, Bron, I'm already 60. What on earth am I supposed to do with this message? The Bible says that we're to store up an inheritance for our children's children. So no matter where we are, we can start looking forward to setting up the next generation. Even if it's not for us, even if we're not ever going to be wealthy, which, you know, I'm, to be honest, I'm not that fast anyway. But if we're to store up for our children's children and actually begin to be really wise around that, then that's a great start. Let's, really the whole point is, let's think differently about our stuff. Let's not let our stuff be for today and for our enjoyment today, but let's acknowledge and own the fact that actually God has given us everything and we're just here to steward it. If that's the point, then that changes everything. That's a complete game changer. That is a complete game changer. So God's going to realign us, I believe, over the next four weeks. Firstly, stay out of debt if you're not in debt yet. If you're in debt, take your smallest debt that you've got and start to smash that debt. Take your coffee money if you want or take your eating out money or take whatever you can, your Foxtel money and start to smash that debt. If you owe money to Centrelink, start to just pay them back really, really fast. And then once you've done that, take the payment that you were having to pay that and put it onto your next biggest debt and start to smash that debt. Take just everything that you can and start to take that debt down as well. It's called the snowball effect. And you'll find that you will eventually get out of debt and then all of a sudden you're in this empowered position to say, okay, God, what's next? And actually we're going to look at what's next as we work through this series. Daz is going to talk to us next week really practically as well about work. And uh, we're going to, I just believe that there's going to be a real freedom that comes from this series in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.